Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? It's Mark Marin. I'm here. This is my podcast, WTF. How's it going? Whoo, man. I am, uh, I'm still in London, and what a few days it's been. I haven't talked to you since, what, last Thursday, and I recorded that on the day before, so I was just, I just got here. I was hallucinating. I don't think I'm still hallucinating, but... When you're in a different country, different side of the street, different uh, personal products, different cereals, different people, they are different. Uh, We're all people, but uh, the Brits and the tone of the city and the culture is different. It does feel like a bit of a hallucination, but it's not. I'm here. I'm eating things. I'm engaging with people, with audiences. I'll tell you about it in a second. Oh, by the way, Vincent D'Onofrio is on the show today. Always respected that guy. Love him as an actor. Seems like an intense guy. He was an intense guy. And it was uh, great talking to him. So that's coming up when I'm teasing my own show. That You'll hear that in a minute if you hang out for this. I got tour dates. So you may want to hang out for that. You might want to hang out for that. I got tour dates. It's happening. And holy fuck. I don't, I don't think I even realized the number of dates I was going to be doing. But I'm doing them. All right, so I'm going to read them off to you just sort of like so you can hear if your city is mentioned, then maybe it'll inspire you to go pursue tickets. August 9th in Portland, Oregon at Revolution Hall. August 22nd in Dallas, Texas at the Majestic Theater. August 23rd in Austin, Texas at the Paramount Theater. August 24th in Houston at the Cullen Theater at Wortham Center. September 6th in Vancouver at the Vogue again. September 7th in Seattle at the Moore Theater. September 20th in Chicago at the Vic. September 21st in Detroit at the Masonic Temple. September 22nd in Minneapolis at the Pantages. October 10th in Philadelphia at the Miriam Theater. October 11th in Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center Concert Hall. Wow, that's that's big. October 12th in Boston at the Schubert Theater. And I'm going to be shooting a special there that night. So there'll be two shows there. October 18th in Nashville at the James K. Polk Theater. October 19th in Atlanta at the Tabernacle. And October 26th in San Francisco at the Masonic. There will be a fan presale for tickets this Wednesday, April 10th at 10 a.m. to uh, Thursday, April 11th at 10 p.m. Just go to the venue websites and use the password BUSTER. The official on-sale date for all venues 
is this Friday, April 12th, except for the Kennedy Center. That's on sale April 19th. A lot of information, but uh, come this week, you can always go to WTFPod.com slash tour for more info on all these dates and venues, and I would assume the links to the tickets, okay? Wow, man. That's, that's a lot of work. Why didn't I realize that? Why, where was I when, when I booked these things? I was just, I guess, on the phone, maybe cooking something, going, uh-huh, yeah, okay, sure, yeah, D- D.C.'s good. Detroit, I haven't been there in, in forever. Okay, yeah, all right, sure. Houston, oh, okay, yeah. Dallas, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I got people in Dallas. Okay, yeah, all right. That's how that works. And now uh, looking at it all, almost as if it were a poem on this page, uh, a lot of dates, and God knows by Boston, by October 12th, I should have a, a, a very tight, very well-grooved, very uh, together hour and 15 minutes of material for a Netflix special. That's for fucking sure. Okay, how's it going? Everybody all right? So since I've last talked to you, I've done a show in uh, Salford, which is within Manchester, despite the fact that right at the beginning of the show, when I said, uh, I'm glad to be in Manchester, or whatever version of that I said, some guy went, Salford! And there was a, a bit of an argument. But apparently here, I guess not unlike other places, there are uh, kind of regional uh, battles that are you know separated by streets, perhaps. But, uh, you know, it, it added texture to the show. We did a lot of riffing. It was, uh, I'd never been to Manchester. Uh, I, I get the sense, and, and I know this is sort of a hackneyed, you know, piece of information, but I do believe that uh, Manchester might be the birthplace of sad rain. I, I think that uh, rain was just rain, and it didn't, it didn't imply much previous to appearing in Manchester, but uh, over time... Uh, it, it, it took on an emotional tone of its own. So I was in the birthplace of sad rain and apparently soccer or football, as they say here, and uh, knew nothing about it. But it seems to be woven into the culture in such a deep way that uh, I felt like I should know something about it, but I did not do any research. Didn't do any research on soccer or football. Did not do any research on Brexit because I found that uh, though I was a little panicked coming into this about not knowing anything about Brexit, it turns out that neither do the people here. A lot of confusion. They don't want to talk about it. No problem. I can talk about our our country's slow drift to a sort of evangelical authoritarianism and complete capitalistic chaos uh, managed by a judiciary that uh, will sink this entire operation. Just my opinion, but uh, you know, good shows. I get there. I get to places, and it seems to me that. Uh, you know, if I want to go to a museum or something, I'll do it. But I was tired. I was jet lagged, as you knew from the last time. So I, I got up. I tried to find a place that had healthy food. I ended up in the basement of a Buddhist society or a Buddhist center in the middle of Manchester. And it was just this old style, strange little wooden table, hippie joint that looked like it had been there forever. And it's very interesting about people is that the people working at the Buddha Center, which was sort of a, you know, it was a, it was a paid gig. I mean, it's a, you buy the food, but it had a sort of um, kind of communal uh, health food uh, vibe to it. And it's just, it's interesting, the people that gravitate towards 
maybe Buddhism or the Buddhist center or whatever you think that might be. Uh, when you when you go there and you see them, you're like, okay, all right. Yeah, I think you, you, you kind of need to be here, don't you? You need to be here. Look, it seems to me that contemporary Buddhism or whatever that is, and I'm not, I don't know much about it, but it's one of those options where, you know, the wheels have really got to come off, man. And, you know, and if Jesus was driving that train, <laughs> it didn't work out. So you needed something simple, you needed something basic, you needed something that was pretty much uh, not confrontive in terms of uh, deities, and uh, and you just took your fragile self, and you, you found a little place, and you got a little peace, and now you're, you're serving me some quinoa and cabbage salad, and, and you know, God bless. I, I'm glad you're doing okay. Take care of yourself. I worry about you. I've known you for 40 seconds. So after that, the day of the uh, the show, I decided to go get a shave because there was I just walked by a barber. They're around. They're around in the states. You figure everybody knows how to give a nice close shave, keep the stash, bring the soul patch back, get rid of the beard, don't need it. But this guy was a uh, seemed a little tentative. Not a great experience. The tentative shave. That like it literally felt like I, he might have even said it when I said, "Do you do shaves?" He's like, "I, I can do it." I, yes, I, I can do this. I, yeah, yeah, uh, yes, yes, uh, yeah, we do shaves. Um, and he, he did it. He was very precise, but it was not comfortable. It was not, usually you re- relax into the ritual. You trust the guy. You, you get nice hot cream on your face. You get a hot towel. There's a sort of a meditation calm to it. it, it it's another form of Buddhism, I guess. Not really, but you do surrender and you relax, but not so much this guy. He was doing it in small patches. He put little dabs of cream on and he was right up on my face doing it very carefully to the point where I was very conscious of relaxing my face because I was afraid if I tightened my face, he would cut part of my face. Um, but I was, I was, you know, I was really cheering him on in, in my mind. I was like, come on, buddy, you can do this. I want you to have this experience. Uh, he was so proud that I think that he didn't cut me and that we didn't fuck up my sideburns or my mustache that he didn't give me the full sort of aftershave lotion treatment. And But he was, you, you know, I, I felt like I helped him out. And, and that's what being a person is all about. It's like, here, I'll risk my own face for you to have, an, uh, you know, to, to have a new experience and get better at what you're doing. Uh, it's not the experience I wanted, but I hope, I hope it went well for you. And I, I think that's sort of a theme. I don't know. Then the show in Manchester was great. That uh, Lowry Theater was beautiful. Small, about 450, packed it out. But very intimate, and the acoustics were perfect. And I, I love that feeling where you have that many people, but it can still be an intimate experience. And I think uh, everybody had a good time. I did do some press up there. There's been a shit ton of press here. I, I, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I don't think I've done as much press as I did on this trip in years, if ever. I did this show. You never really know what you're walking into, but I did this show called Loose Ends. And it, and I wasn't really paying attention when they told me. I knew it was a, it was several people. You sit around, you talk. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think I knew the host. I, and then the, the day of, I'm like, wait a minute. That's the guy, Clive Anderson is hosting this, the guy from Who's Line. I remember that guy. And Mavis Staples, Mavis fucking Staples is on the show with me. And what, what an honor that is. It was me, Mavis Staples, Judy Kramer, who created the... Um, Mamma Mia uh, musical and Anita Anand, who uh, sent this book she wrote sounds amazing. I, I think it's called The Patient Assassin. She's a journalist and author here, and uh, she was great. But I'm sitting there with Mavis Staples at a table, and she's telling stories about singing for Martin Luther King, about Bob Dylan proposing to her, and just to meet her and tell her that I saw her years ago. 
uh, at the bottom line when Pop Staples was still alive and John Hammond opened for them. She's like, oh, I remember that. And like, it's just sometimes it's, this business is just very exciting and very, you know, it's just a powerful moment, man. I mean, she she's amazing. But what it takes for me to get excited about a show just because I'm so sure it's going to be awkward. I mean, I've played this place before. Royal Festival Hall is a big space meant for symphonies. Yeah. And I don't, I don't always remember exactly. I know the feeling I have when I do a space that seats over 1,800. Like if I'm in a space that seats from 1,500 to 3,000, I, I tend to, it's not that I get nervous, but it's like, will the vessel hold? Will the vessel I am occupying hold? It, you know, by the time I get to the venue, I'm like, oh my God. Not, not as bad as it used to be, but once I get on stage and do the sound check, I'm like, okay, I remember this place. It's big, it's a symphony space. It's, it is what it is. And I know, man, I just know. You know, I get out there. I got my opener, this kid, Jack Barry. He's doing all right. I get out there and I'm like, I'm just being loose. And, I, and I'm like, I can make this space intimate. I can pull them in. I can do it. But it's weird, man. When you work in a space, it's like there was about 1,900 people in there. And I'm on a stage that has, it's wide open because a symphony should fucking be sitting up there. And I'm doing what I do, but like the, the, it's hard to get on a roll. You know, I'm, I'm connecting, but it's like I don't feel it coming back as much as I'd like it to. I know that in a bigger space, the tighter the bit, the better it's going to be because then it can just land and, you, you know, you can, you know, it, it, people know where it ends. They know what the punchline is. And sometimes I like to sort of noodle around a little bit. I like to improvise, but I have to accept that. I, I think I have to accept that's how I do shit. And they're digging it, you know, but I'm not feeling the connection as much as I like because the fucking room is so big and it wants a symphony in it. It doesn't want just me sitting up there on a stool in the middle of where there should be a full orchestra. The space doesn't want it. It's fighting me. And I feel that after every bit, after every arc, I, there's a moment where I'm like, look, I'm just this little guy. I'm just, I'm just sitting on the stage. And there's that moment where it's sort of like, you know the difference between performing and just being you. Like, I feel that. When I'm sitting up there in a symphony space between jokes, I'm like, I, the bottom could fall out here. I could just be a guy talking, uh, you know, to myself on stage here in front of people. Like, you, I could just feel that there was such a fine line between getting laughs and connecting in that way and just kind of being a guy sitting on a stage in front of 1,900 people that's wide open and should have a symphony on it going, hey, uh, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just up here by myself. I, you know, it's like, it's weird. I'm up here by myself. Like that place, that place. Um, I'm, I'm just up here by myself. Oh, I hope, oh no. Is there any way I can get out of here? I have to get out of here. It, like that was just right under it. And the show was great and people liked it, but I, it got to the point at the end, I'd done about an hour and 40 minutes and I was just, I just wanted to like, I set the mic aside. The acoustics were perfect. And I'm like, what do you guys need? We need to connect here. What are we doing? And they had, you know, I got applause breaks and it was all, it was fucking fine. It was great. But in that moment, my own struggle was I'm up here all alone. Here's this thing. I'm going to do this. Here we go. We're talking like this. Oh, look, you all like it. Oh, God. I'm, I'm still by myself up here. So I sought out at the end to just really connect. And I, you know, I, I took a couple questions. I improvised through a few things, through a few questions. It, it killed. It was beautiful. It was a real connection. 
And, and I closed on this weird thing. Some weird dude in the audience goes, uh, why do you have witch hands? And I'm like, witch hands? And somehow or another, I physicalized witch hands and I cast a spell of love on the entire audience and I threw a bad one right at him and it just got this huge laugh. And I closed on what was essentially a improvisation on witch hands. And that was like a high point. Like that, you know, after almost two hours up there, I'm like, oh, thank God for witch hands. Whew. So tonight I go to Birmingham, uh, England. If you, if, you, if you haven't gotten tickets and you're hearing this, I think there's a couple left. Um, what else? I want to thank the, the British audiences. Just tremendous. Uh, great people and, and great time. And I'm very grateful uh, that they came out and experienced that. We connected. We engaged. So now, Vincent D'Onofrio, I had to remind him that uh, we met before, and he kind of remembered meeting me. It was a, it was a fairly traumatic event. Uh, he didn't quite remember it as specifically as I did, but it was interesting to bring it up, and it was great to meet him and talk to him. The, the film he directed, called The Kid, starring Ethan Hawke, Dane DeHaan, and Chris Pratt, is playing in select theaters. It's a Western. It's a, a sort of like a a kind of sweet Western story. He inserted a coming of age tale into the, you know, the myth of Bill, Billy the Kid. He just sort of, it was added in. I, I don't know, that kid, Dane DeHaan, man, he's something else. It, everyone, Chris Pratt, I didn't even know it was Chris Pratt. It was, anyways, but you know Vincent from Full Metal Jacket, from the crime show he was on, from some other, I mean, he's an intense dude, from the player. Anyway, this is me. Back in the garage talking to Vincent D'Onofrio. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts so you play i mean guitar I play a little bit yeah i mean a little bit i'm not that great a player but i do have more guitars than i deserve yeah i do too but I like we all do yeah do you buy you buy them though I buy them, yeah. So but I but I feel like I've ha I haven't bought a guitar in many many years. Yeah. I feel like I have the guitars that I'm gonna have. And yeah. That's, and that's it now. I feel that way too. But like you know, sometimes like if like I said, if I can get them, like I've got a, few, a bunch upstairs that I've acquired over time. Like I've like Jay Mascus gave me uh, his signature Squire. You know, I don't play it much, but I like having it. Yeah, I have a little Squire. You do? Yeah. You like it? It's, yeah, it's like a. I don't know. It's always they've always remind me of like a, uh, you know, old timey. Yeah, old timey uh, uh, group. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Haircut rock kind, of, mm -hmm. like you know, like old. Uh, but wait, do you live here? No, in New York. So you know, I know where we met. It was a bad night. Was it for you? 
you you don't remember. Where do you think you met me? Oh, maybe we don't. Maybe I don't remember. I was a friend of Janine Garofalo's. Yeah. And she took me to a show. Yeah. And you performed. Okay. But was that the show where I was attacked on stage? Uh, yes. So, yeah, that's a bad night, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I didn't realize I didn't realize the extent of it. Right. How much control you really had of it, though. Oh, no, well, it was kind of tripped out, right? So you were there. I remember because it became sort of dreamlike because you, yeah. you, you were just sort of there. And I'm like, that guy's an actor. You know, so it was like, is this real? Yeah, the guy lunged at me. Yeah. Yeah, because I was poking at him. Right. And, you know, he jumped up and he, he tackled me. And then a couple dudes got up there, Flanagan, who owned the place, and Dave Rath, the manager, they pulled him off me. Everyone, that, what was amazing is how quickly everyone dispersed yeah. in that moment. Yeah. You know who else was there? The... Uh, the guitar player and uh, uh, from Foreigner. <laughs> he, oh, really? Yeah, he was, he was there too. Well, the his... people that were close to the stage yeah. moved out of there fairly quickly. Yeah, but we had great seats for the whole fight. <laughs> <laughs> it was really more of a wrestle. It was like it, was. it wasn't well, even. A, I don't think the guy was a fighter. He just had an emotional reaction. Because we stood each other off. I knew the one thing I knew as a performer was like you know, number one, I'm the last act, and and you know, I'm certainly not gonna you know puss out right yeah i'm gonna have to take the hit you know or whatever yeah or yeah you know i'm in front of people right and uh and i took it and then it got broken up and then the, everyone went outside and I, that's when i saw you my shirt was ripped open a little bit and and he came around and apologized it was a weird night exciting do you think it was part of the show well i didn't know the extent of it yeah you know because janine i don't i haven't seen janine for many years but she doesn't um she doesn't talk for no reason. Yeah, she's, you know, she, she like so. I didn't really quite understand the whole deal of what was going on, and I think I was probably stoned. Yeah, and as well, and yeah. that didn't help. Yeah, and and I actually, I actually do. Th I actually thought you were funny. Yeah, I was funny. Yeah, <laughs> that and that was the main thing. Oh, good. That's the memory you took yeah. away. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was what it was. I was doing a joke. That, I was a bouncer when I was a kid, so oh, really? Like that? That wasn't like a big shocking thing right, to me. Right, it wasn't was menacing. Like, right, no, yeah, it yeah. wasn't like a crime. Right, right, it didn't seem like a crime. It was or just anything. some drunken bullshit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I was doing a joke that had suicide in it, and the guy got freaked out. And then, like you know, and he oh, he said wow. something like, you know, don't do jokes about suicide. Yes. And I was like, why? Did you just lose somebody? It was like a little callous, but like, why is he interrupting my show? <laughs> And like, you know, maybe I had it coming, but it turned out the fucker comes around and he, he, he hadn't, he hadn't lost anybody, but I think someone was depressed. He was feeling, yeah. I don't know. He popped. He, he was, popped, he, yeah. It wasn't like, he wasn't a guy trying to prove anything. I just like, my tone Could got be, and could always be the most righteous moment of his life. I wonder. Yeah. I haven't heard from him. I've I'm, talked I, about it a couple of times. You know, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, but maybe he has good memories of it. Like I stood up, and then we made amends, and yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because I remember what what happened was outside when everyone was outside, and you know I had walked outside, and people were trying, and then the guy pulled up, he left, and he pulled up in a car with his friends, and got back out, and there was a sort of like, hey man, I'm like, I'll deal with it. Big hero with ninety people behind me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I I worked it out. Where were you a bouncer? At every. The uh, Studio Fifty Four when I was very young at the back door and then um, how old? How like, old were you? Like eighteen. You were at Studio Fifty Four at the back door though, not the front door with all the 
Oh, the back door? Yeah. So Which you was, saw a lot of people bolting out to vomit and pass out? Where you had to like, the people were coming in from there too and, and leaving there, but yeah. yeah, it wasn't like the whole scene in the front, yeah. But this was at the heyday? Yeah. Like in the 70s? No, no, the, the second time, the second oh, time. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then and then um, uh, uh, the Ritz Oh yeah, on Eleventh Street. Yeah, for three and a half years. Really, then, three and a half years. Yeah, just because you were a big boy. Yeah, and did you have to? Did you get into shit? Yeah, I'm like yeah, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> you a fighter. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, not like it's not like something I you know look for. Yeah, yeah. you don't start shit. No, actually, but you'll I don't. you'll you'll yeah. you'll you'll deal with it. I can deal with it pretty. I, I've always been able to deal with it pretty good, and I don't uh, I don't mind being punched. No, no. <laughs> but do you? That's but, like an important thing. I don't know that that's on the resume for bouncer. You know, like I, I mean, well, you should. You, be I guy. think you should know that going in. You're going to take a punch. Shouldn't be on the resume, right? Yeah. But but you usually but you have to transcend the punch and maintain order. Yeah, I always say this. Like, yeah. this is what I say. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> take your time. On like the other day, I was on Twitter. Yeah, and somebody asked me. Um, how do I, why do I handle, how do I handle the trolls so well, right? Yeah. And I said, because of this, if you can be hit multiple times in the face and the body. Yeah. And not care about what it might be doing to your face or what it feels like. Yeah. And still, main, and still maintain focus. Yeah. Then trolls are nothing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a philosophy of life. Yeah. <laughs> Get punched up. Until you can't see straight, yeah, and then uh, you maybe you sit down, yeah. And I and I always thought that that was one of the. Th I knew that the best, the guys, the best fighters that that I knew were yeah. were that type of guy. And what? Why do you get trolled a lot? Are you doing? What are you putting stuff? Because up? Because I'm a liberal. Oh yeah, yes. I was, and you're vocal on Twitter, and About, they come at you, yeah, just like that weird kind of like pile on of garbage people. Yes, <laughs> the garbage people pile on. Yeah. But uh, but did you grow up in New York? Uh, no, I was uh, born in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, and then raised partially there. But then my parents got divorced, and we moved to Florida. What's well, To a small town called Hialeah, which is outside of Miami. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So I went to most of my schooling there. But I spent every summer with um, my family in Brooklyn. Yeah, my whole life. Like a, it was a so big it was family? sort of like a yeah. So I sort of. Yeah, aunts and uncles, and yeah. I lived in my grandfather's house, and so big Italian family. Yes, very, very, very Brooklyn Italian. Yeah. Really, like old school like food very everywhere. Old school, yeah. yeah. Some of them were like extreme racists. Oh yeah, but most of them were very. My my grandfather had a lot of integrity, and his side of his family had a whole lot of integrity. He was an upholsterer from, like, he made his way in yeah. New York from Italy as yeah. an upholsterer. Oh wow, and had a company and the whole deal. Oh yeah, so like yeah. couches, chairs, yeah. whatever. Drapes. Everything. Did he have? A, was he from Italy? Yep. Wow. So you like like third generation kind of deal. Yeah. And that was on your dad's side. That was on my dad's side. And my mom's side is from Napoli too. They're both both sides of the family are from Napoli. But my mom's parents went to uh, New York, but yeah. then immediately went to Hawaii oh. and opened uh, the first Italian restaurant called Rocco's in Hawaii. In Honolulu. Mm -hmm. Really? That yep. was smart. Very smart. And they they lived there their whole life. Yeah, basically, my mom waitressed in his restaurant, and my dad was in the Air Force stationed in Hawaii, and that's how they met. Hawaii? Yeah. So you have like a childhood past in Hawaii? Yeah. 
That's good, man. Yeah, I went to part part of my elementary school there, actually. Yeah, I think it does something to your brain to have that kind of space and you know that kind of uh, quiet. I think it programs you in a good way. I think yeah. you have a, a Hawaiian uh, sensibility deep down. That would be nice. <laughs> my uncle used to um, the the scammer uncle that I have. Which scam? He his first thing was he used to act like a, he's an Italian kid, yeah. but he used to he had long brown curly hair, so yeah. he kind of he could pass as a Hawaiian sort yeah. of right, yeah, pug nose and the whole bit, yeah. And he uh, used to um, you know get tourists to pay him to climb palm trees and get coconuts. Oh, really? Yeah, well, he used a... to make a bundle. He was like like ten. That seems like an honest dollar. It's not yeah. quite a scam. I mean, he's actually doing something. Yeah, delivering the goods. <laughs> so okay, so are you? The, do you have siblings too? Sisters, yeah. Oh, really? A bunch? I had three. Now I have two. Oh, yeah. sorry. It's okay. But uh, when did you start doing the? Uh, like, did you come with the acting thing? But did you like? Was anyone in show business? I mean, no. how did you get him introduced to? Well, that? my dad was. My dad used to do theater, like community theater. He was an stuff. actor. Yeah, yeah, and a director, and uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, he always belonged to a community theater. In Florida? In Florida. Like a little place, like old people would come and watch the shows? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and like, did they do like a children's show on the weekend? Sometimes. <laughs> well, no, they didn't do children's shows. They would do like melodramas. Oh, like just- uh, Like Dirty Work at the Crossroads and uh -huh, stuff like that, like uh -huh. bizarre little plays that were actually called melodramas, yeah. Oh, and so the, it was primarily for the older people, it was a subscription thing? Yeah. They, and then they would do like- to be really artsy, they yeah. would do like like you know View from the Bridge right. or you know <laughs> right, like right. Arthur Miller, you know all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And people would walk out like I didn't understand it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and and they would do um, yeah. uh, 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 the Rainmaker, mm -hmm. you know, plays like that. Yeah. yeah. And you were you? My involved? dad was always played always played the Rainmaker. Oh yeah, yeah. Was the he Burt good? Lancaster part. Yeah. Was he good? good yeah he was okay i mean yeah. i don't really remember the details but my parents were divorced so I, I there was a lot of women that that he he could pull a lot of women playing on the rainmaker oh yeah yeah so that was that his uh, his drive it was disturbing for me but he had a great time <laughs> are either of them around still yes folks they're both around yeah. oh really yeah oh that's good my, my dad's not the best of no mental oh really <laughs> the mental thing's not great yeah no. Uh, what is it like Alzheimer's or something? No, no. I, you know, it would, it would be so much easier for all of us if he was. But he's bipolarish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you got it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh man, I, I don't think I have the. I have a lot of anxiety and dread, but I don't have the up and down thing. You got the up yeah. and down thing? Um, I have more of like the the. But but the the thing about these days is you can get it under control. But sure. the spiral thing was big when I was young. Oh, really? Spiraled down into, into the darkness. Yeah. Out of nowhere, yeah. Just wake up at the bottom of the hole, yeah, and then come out the other end like you know a newborn bunny, yeah. You know, excited, and then, and then until, the, until the spiral starts again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the waves, yeah. peaks and valleys, yeah. But these days, in my in my um, later adulthood, yeah, you know, it's under control. It's yeah, like it's, it's totally great under control. Yeah. Relieved, yeah. Did, were you one of those people that found? Uh, was it hard to 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 give it up? To give up the spirals. Well, the minute that I the, the minute that I was truly convinced that it wasn't going to affect my art, mm -hmm. so to speak, yeah, I was totally into it. 
Yeah. What to, what did it take to convince you? The the actual uh, going through taking medication, going through uh, psychology, uh, the whole psychology yeah. thing, and yeah. getting a shrink, and yeah. figuring out what you know. It takes you a long time to figure out exactly what a shrink is sure. and how they can help you, and and because <laughs> there's so many, you know. Different types. I used to do a bit about going to a shrink uh, when you're older. You should basically just walk in and go, like, look, I know there's a lot of things we're not going to unfuck. Right. But I got some problems I think we can work on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my thing was, um, look, I'm really good at manipulating and good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to work around you. Yeah. I'm going to dance. I will with- figure out how to make you happy and get me more miserable by the time this is over. <laughs> And they're like, great. Yeah, and I'll did, take it. But you found a good one? Yeah, for oh. many years, yeah. Oh, good. Many and that, so, and then you just started doing that and then doing the work and you realized the craft was and in I, place. I, and I actually, to- exactly. I actually realized that my motivation goes up is, is so much more than it used to be and I'm so much more detailed in my work now than I used to be and I'm not clouded over, I'm not in the business for chasing women or all the wrong reasons. Right, you know? right. I'm in it because I'm actually an artist and I have friends that are artists and they're legit and I can learn from them and be inspired by them and, right. have, and have loyal relationships that last for 20, 30 years and yeah. so now that I'm almost 60, it's like I have 30 years of like real art and, and real friends yeah. and real work yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great so yeah. you're like, you're, all you're giving up is that weird kind of like just for the moment fucking let's do yeah. it let's live on the edge yeah and then like you know crying to some woman for, for months yeah exactly <laughs> in some country that you don't belong in yeah <laughs> I, I, I was never when I was uh, at my worst uh, international travel frightened me no, I was uh, I was I was up for Oh really? Yeah, every country. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Just for no reason? Oh, mm-hmm. man. I I get to places back when I was like a paranoid and anxiety ridden. I get to places and be like, "Where am I? They don't have the right cereals, you know." And it fucked me up. <laughs> <laughs> but when did you like so when did you start doing it? Like with your dad or, you know, traveling? No, <clears> the, <throat> the, the acting. No, so what happened then was is that I just I got. I started running lights and building sets and running sound, and then at the community theater. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so you got a handle on that. And shit. then there was a big uh, flux of Cuban entertainers and artists that came into the Miami area. Yeah, you know, from yeah. Cuba. Yeah, and a family, a couple, opened a magic shop. Yeah, near my house. Right. And they were like real magicians, like they were a group, like slide of hand kind of stuff. Well, well e- just everything. They were like big huh. show magicians. Oh, really? And and um, I started visiting this magic shop. I didn't have any money or anything. How old I, were you? Uh, like nine or ten. Oh, yeah, yeah, like that. Very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, li- little did I know that later on in life, it's not sexy and. You know, and and that it's, you're going to have to stop doing it. But, magic, yeah, the magic is not sex. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, Dave Cross uh, does some joke. I don't even know how he sets it up about a magician, but I know the punchline is, uh, "Yeah, that is my card. Can I go now?" <laughs> it's so true. You though. don't even need the setup. No, no, it's funny. Yeah. But but so the point is this is that they brought me out of my shell 
the, he taught me magic. Yeah. He taught me, he, he gave me pamphlets for free so I could build my own tricks rather than buy them from him. Uh-huh. Because they're just metal welded together. It's right. Like, you know, it's like yeah. Just, I had a neighbor that was a metal worker who, who built another- well, like rings and stuff? Rings and cans and oh, yeah. things, you know, and scarfs and yeah, things yeah. like that. You yeah. didn't have to buy it. You could make all that yeah. shit, you know. Fabric, you know, right. felt. Yeah. You know? yeah you just <laughs> felt is it. like the cheapest material in the world. Yeah. Everything's made of felt in magic. Yeah. So it's like- it's a nickel. Yeah. 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 So um, then I started doing magic and I got really comfortable on stage. Oh. And I could walk out on stage and just do anything. I didn't have, I didn't even think about it. And then um, one day, you know, I got interested in girls and I thought, mm, you know, this, this is not, this is not sexy <laughs> and, and this ain't going to work out. And, yeah. and then I, so I thought, what, what, what can I do? I don't want to be a, a thug. Yeah. You know, was that an option? That was an option. Yeah. 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 Hanging around with the wrong guys, yeah, uh huh, you know, and uh, <laughs> so I didn't want to do that because it looked, it didn't look. I I would always, cons you know, at a very young age, I always would look at myself way beyond that age. Like, yeah. what am I gonna be like when I'm like twenty? Old was yeah. like thirty, like, right? And it never looked good. Yeah, like for some reason, it never looked good. And I thought maybe I should be an actor because. I can actually see guys that are that age and they look like they're okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They're acting. Yeah. They're acting. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so if I'm, um, one of the places that you act is on stage and if I'm comfortable on stage, maybe I should try to do it. So then without anybody, I didn't do it in high school. I didn't do it. In, I wasn't even like, I never talked about it or anything. Yeah. And then I moved back to New York and went to the American Stanislavski Theater Company. You, you moved it back to Brooklyn? I moved to Brooklyn for a little while with the family, with the uh, very <laughs> religious and not the, the Catholic racist. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then and then uh, got out of there as quickly as I could. And but I, but I was studying the whole time with this uh, company called the American Stanislavski Theater. Where'd you end up with your first place in the city? <sighs> Down on Fulton Street. Oh yeah, my sister, my best friend Steve Marshall. And I, we got a one bedroom and then I built partitions to separate all the rooms and we lived in there. So the American Stanislavski Institute, that's not the actor studio. No. It's not like, uh, what, what is it like? Uh, is it, is the method pre uh, actor well, studio? You're very close actually. Yeah. Very close. The, the first 10 years of Stanislavski is the method acting. Yeah. And then his actor's, uh, to make, I'm being very short story. Sure, here. it's all right. But the, yeah, because it's not very interesting. No, but it is. The, I, the, I, the, I, the, the Stanislavski felt that his actors were becoming too indulgent, self indulgent. Yeah. And, and um, he changed system. He, he, he changed the technique, and then it was called, from then on, it was called the, the, the Stanislavski system of acting, which is a whole different deal this, than. Really? But the method is the first 10 years of Stanislavski. Started. Like, I never knew this, and I've talked to a lot of you guys, yeah, you no, actor fellas. Yeah, that's the truth. Because, like, you know, usually, you know, you get the Meisner people, you yeah. got the actors. Which is all studio, good. All that stuff is good. You yeah. know, but, like, I didn't realize that uh, Stanislavski realized these, these self-centered monsters. Yeah. They, I have to reel them monsters, in. Yeah. They're, the monsters that he thought they were are, to me, the best actors out there. Like who? Like Monty Cliff. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Who else? And, and many, many, many other actors oh, yeah. from Actors Studio. From that generation? Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Wait, 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 who they were so ahead of their time. So when when you get to the uh, the Stanis what is it called the Stanislavski Institute the American Stanislavski Theater Company so you're like 
18, 19? Yeah, I'm 19 and I'm doing plays with them. I'm doing uh, classics with Sonia Moore who ran the school, who was actually a student. She was 90 years old when she was teaching. She was actually a student of Stanislavski's and wrote all the books about Stanislavski. I don't know. When, when did Stanislavski die? I mean, what was his life? Oh, I don't know the year. But like it was like before movies or what? No, no. Oh, yeah? yeah. He was yeah. around that yeah. long? Yeah, you can still go visit his his um his uh, study and stuff in 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 russia yeah and you and you teach at that same place now no so i i then um after that i did a, a tour with them and i and i and i acted and learned the stanislavski system of acting i still because of all my reading wanted to learn method acting uh-huh and so finally a teacher from actor studio yeah uh, took me under her wing and taught me for six years how to be a method actor. Her name is Sharon Chatton. And um, she was of the actor studio. I'm a lifetime member now and of the actor studio. Yeah. And um, I also teach at the Strasburg Institute in New York where yeah. we teach NYU students. And Which one? Which and, do, what do you teach? Which method? I teach the method. You teach the method, as, not yeah. the standard Strasburg system. system. Yeah. yeah. But I do, I do talk, I do, because I use it in my own work. I the use system? both. Yeah. I consciously use, consciously use everything in my own work yeah but it's not like one of those things like because like i talk to actors i try to isolate things i try to basically get myself a, a an acting education because yeah. I'm, I'm doing a little acting now and uh you know like i've talked to people about it and a lot of times it's a little vague in terms of like well you do you know you do that you take some of this you take some of that and you mash it together but the way you're talking there there are tools you apply every time there are tools that i apply every time consciously consciously huh and they would be very helpful for you. What are they? Especially for you. Okay. Are you going to tell me? Well, I'm not going to make the podcast about that. No, I'm not going to make it about that. A couple pointers. Yes, I can tell you. And, and then we're going to talk. To, that you speak not from your head, but from your stomach and your heart only. You never speak from your head. Oh. So anything that's going on in your nervous system yeah. right now, yeah. this second, yeah. whatever you're feeling. Right. Try and speak words only through that. So, and, and however it comes out, yeah. let the words just fall out of your mouth. And however it comes out. I feel like I'd be crying a lot. Well, <laughs> but, but that, you, you, you'll cry until you don't cry anymore. And then, and then you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking 55 years of tears. Happen. Dude, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I taught last night until one o'clock in the morning. In New York? Here. Oh. My teacher, my mentor, Sharon Chatton, who I was telling you about, she now teaches here. Uh-huh. And so when I'm in town, I take over. I've taught three classes since I've been here for the last week. And were they four-hour jam sessions? One is the Saturday, one is three hours, and the rest just go on until everybody dies. Yeah? Yeah. Everyone dies from crying yeah. and feeling? Being pain, yeah, from being self-indulgent. But when you apply it to like a role, well, here's my big question, and, and honestly speaking, just from like you know being on the job. Yeah. When you're in character, are you do you have consciousness of yourself? Of course. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't drink like I, I I'm not Daniel Day Lewis. Everybody has their thing okay. that they do. Right. And I'm not sure what he does. I only met him once very briefly. I'm not sure what he does, if that's method acting or whatever, but whatever he does, it works and it's great. It seems like a lot of work. It seems like a lot of work. Did you yeah. meet him as somebody? Did you meet Lincoln? <laughs> no, no, no. Shoe, I, 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 think I, met, I think I met him because <laughs> yeah. we came up at exactly the same time. And so, um, but, and, but there are other actors out there too that 
um, uh, that do like there. There are British actors that do a version of I would say is is the Stanislavski system. Yeah, and 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 the method combined. Now the system is different. How? Just that curiosity. The system is is more physical okay. and it requires a lot of inner monologue. Uh-huh. Stuff that's actually written out okay. that you're saying under dialogue oh. or while somebody else is speaking, like uh, those. Uh, the... So that you're thinking all the time when the camera's rolling oh, about when the, you're what you're acting, like the feelings or the motivations behind and, it, and triggers and, yeah. and things that have can that that don't necessarily have anything to do with the story. Interesting, but, but help tell the story because it's the right emotion. Right, and can you do you do you find that you is it possible to be completely detached from the performance and still do a good performance? Yes, <laughs> that's the I guess that's the craft. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to show up for work no matter what. Yeah, I mean the the thing about ex- trying to explain how you work on on a set. Yeah, is I only know my version of it. You would have to ask somebody who's worked with me. Yeah, what it looks like to them. Yeah. I have no idea. To me, it just looks like. A struggle to do the part right and that struggle yeah. becomes my performance right that's that's all it is right yeah. so when when you're doing plays in new york are you doing like the small ones like yeah, everything we, you can kind of deal um what back then yeah. back then yeah, yeah everything i can yeah yeah and that's how you sort of i ended up on broadway in what in a in a play called open admissions which ran for a few months and then closed and that was my first like real paying job where i actually had to show up and yeah. get, get a check and everything yeah 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 who was yeah. in it with you a guy named calvin levels um it was about street kids going to college didn't didn't run very long yeah but it was a good experience because i didn't have an agent at the time and what what happened was is i i you know there's that Back in the day, there was you know there's, there was this paper called Backstage. Yeah, yeah, and so you got that's where you got your auditions from. Sure, and so I saw it, and so I put on a whole facade that because I was from Brooklyn, I was yeah. born in Brooklyn, but I went into the audition with a Brooklyn accent yeah. and lied my way through the whole thing, and I got the part. Yeah, and they cast me because they thought I was like exactly like the part. Yeah, you and, s- and, and you still have a little Brooklyn accent, a little bit. Yeah, it comes out. Yeah, right, a little bit, yeah. So you got the part because they believed you. They totally, totally believed. And you me. knew you were just like applying your craft. Yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it was it was the first experience that I got paid for actually doing something that I felt like I was in control of that I invented, and that uh, it was and and it was helping tell a story correctly. And that and that that ultimately is the job, right? Yeah, it's ultimately the job. about the story, to service the story. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta realize that. Like, that's what most people say. Yeah, it's not just about you. No. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can imagine it's a difficult thing because of your stand-up. That if that's where your root of entertainment comes from. Well, that that's about self-consciousness. But a lot of times, I'm sort of scene for scene. And sometimes it's hard for me to even, you know, assess the whole arc of a piece. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you're kind of working. Like, well, what do I do? What am I doing in this scene? So then to sort of like, you know, really integrate the, the full arc of the show or the movie or the show, to, you know, play or whatever, you know, I don't, I don't really know how to manage that to, you know, knowing the end and what I'm, you know, moving towards. Well, you probably don't read it enough for one. Yeah. I can imagine that you don't read it. The enough, whole thing. The script. Yeah. yeah. You got to read the whole thing enough and not just Until your part. You, correct. Right. Yeah. I had a feeling that you were going to be like that and I think I'm right. And so you have to read it over and over and over again until you realize it. 
you realize the whole composition of the story. Yeah. And it's something that you actually have to sit down and think about. Yeah. And not pretend like you know it or not have all these wonderful ideas and choices. Let those have them come in and take over your attention. Yeah. And then just rely on that and hope you get through it. Like, right. That's not. That's, not the, that's only half of it. That's only maybe even less. <laughs> <laughs> not not to say that you, you can't, can't get, away. get away with a great scene that way because <laughs> yeah. you can. Sure. Yeah, but, but it, it would help. I think that like so you integrate the story somehow by by sure you the, to think about it as an arc is a is a kind of good way to explain it. Except that it's not really the way you should think about it. You should think about it as like a painting like the composition of a painting you need to know the composition of the story the structure of yeah, the story right and you need to know where you help tell the story interesting and how you do yeah not just like i'm the cranky guy right yeah, yeah. okay yeah. I'm, I'm that's a- called servicing the story okay and that's what our job is and that also keeps you grounded and real right you know? Because you know it's it, 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 there's a context. because it's not that 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 right da, right da, and it's not yeah. open ended yeah yeah you know this is the thing yeah there's yeah. no hook that's right. going to come in and grab you out and take <laughs> you away and then so, it's over so so how long do you kick around before you get the movie parts six years six or so years it all happened while I was still studying and bouncing in clubs and then I um I I was a friend of mine walked by. Where was I then? How what you like in your twenties? Yeah, I was twenty two or twenty three, and I was working at the front door of the Hard Rock Cafe in New York. Mm-hmm. And my buddy Matthew Mudine, who I knew from auditions and school, how's he doing? He's awesome. Good. Yeah, he's a great guy. And um, him and his wife were passing by, and they saw me at the front door, and we talked. And he said, "I'm off doing this thing with Stanley Kubrick." And I'm like, "Wow!" I goes, "You know, there's." He said, "You know, there's another part that they haven't cast yet." Yeah. And I don't know what it is yeah. because he doesn't let us see it, but you should go up for it. And uh, he gave me the address to send a tape to. So my friend and I, Steve, we went to. I was doing a play at the time, um, and we went to a stoop on 10th Avenue, 24th Street, and we rented one of these cam. You know, the cameras were like huge back then. Yeah. And had a deck. Yeah, oh, right, the video camera. Like, yeah, 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 huge. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, like, you know, the side bigger than your computer. Right, you know? yeah. And and uh, so we rented all that, and I put on on beta, like, three like three or four takes. I just yeah. did three, four monologues in a row, and I, the tape was huge. And What were the monologues? That, from the play oh, that really? I was doing, yeah. Oh, okay. And then um, I sent it to Stanley Kubrick. Wow. Yeah. And then it, he, well, how and I, I got the part. Yeah, yeah. just on that he, one take. He called me. Yeah. And he said, "Okay, I'm going to send you some words and I want you to put it on tape." And I'm like, "Well, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to rent these cameras and stuff like, you know, I'll send you I'll send you some money too." And so so they, you know, he, he <laughs> much like you and the guitars. <laughs> exactly. Like, Thanks, Stanley. You know, maybe, maybe you could yeah. buy me the camera. It'd be a lot easier if you just bought me. The I could use it if this wasn't working out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm getting good at this. Yeah. Um, and so I sent him, he just sent me words without punctuation or anything and just said, do it, do, just show it, do it, do it. And I, and I did it. And um, he said, okay, we're going to bring you out. Wow. Yeah. So the words were just what, were they pieces of the monologue? They the- were pieces and fragments of things that sort of ended up in the movie and then most didn't. And how much of the character did you put in place? What, what, you had no conception of what you were auditioning for. So what were you putting out there? To, I sussed out that he was a weak-minded individual. Mm. And 
um, he and 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 he told me um, without in with no detail and in a kind of roundabout way. I, it was like a puzzle I had to put together with what he was saying to me. But he said that the guy is weak minded. He is um, he is oh, he has to be overweight. You have to you're gonna have to put on weight, and and um, uh, he's struggling uh, because it's an environment that he really shouldn't be in. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> just hearing that makes me the Marine Corps, right? It's horrible. Yeah. It's, well, that that the the role was so painful. Yeah, the, the snapping of poor yeah. Leonard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so by the time I sent him the the uh, was ready to do the second take, and he had sent me the information and stuff, knowing that he was yeah. given me that information, I put on probably like five or six pounds, you know, and I yeah. did it without my shirt on, so I could show him that I gained a little weight. Yeah, and uh, did it did another one on yeah. the same stoop, same thing. Yeah. And then uh, that's when he that's when he hired me. And then I went out there, and he 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 said before I keep, before you come out here, you know that you have to gain a bunch of weight. You have to probably gain like twenty or thirty pounds. Oh my god! And I'm like, okay. And 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 so and De Niro had already had done it for Raging, Raging Bull, Bull yeah. yeah. And so I said, well, I can do it. De Niro can do it. I can do it. Yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, so I went out there and I gained the pounds, but then I just looked like I could kick everybody's ass, and. I also had to learn how to march and do monkey patrol with the rifles and all that. So yeah. the weight went up to 70 something pounds. Yeah. Before I looked like weak. Yeah. Yeah. And was that fun or horrible? No, it was, get, not, it was not fun. To eat all that? No, just terrible? It's it a, was not fun. Yeah. It's like, much more fun now. Yeah. Than it was back then. But like, but like, what did you have to, like two months to put on fucking 50 pounds? I had several months. I had. Oh my God. About six months. Just eating pasta and shit? And carbs and. You know, half a loaf of bread for breakfast. And, oh, and you're just feeling it fill yeah. out. Yeah, and then you know you're not your, you know, your yeah. romantic life goes to shit. Like <laughs> everything goes to shit. Oh, but people look a, at you differently. You don't get, you know, it serves a character. Though. People think you're stupid. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's, it's really worked. unbelievable. What the what the judgment people have of fat people? Yeah, and working with Kubrick was it like was it amazing? It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, being out there with all that stuff because that movie, like even like when okay, when you talk about story, like you know, what was the story? Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, with that role, I have to assume you're like, well, this guy's story is what I got to focus on, right? There's like two sections, and that's that. It's yeah. This guy's story, and 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 Matthew Joker's Matthew uh, jo Joker Matthew's character is is the point of view of that guy's story, and and. So yeah, it was about yeah him him transcending into uh, the the Marine Corps training backfired and just instead of making a a lean green fighting machine, they just made a fighting machine. Yeah, a monster. Yeah, and uh, is it easier to like? It must have been good to have your friend there, like to work with him. Yeah, like it must have been, like because that's what was that like your like, that was your first big movie, right? My first movie. Yeah. And it was just, I, I can't, and you were t shooting it out overseas? Yeah. I was there for 13 months. 13 months? Yeah. And what what are your recollections of Kubrick? What impressed you? What do you take away as a director now that you're directing? I mean, what, you know, what did you see him do? It's like it, you, you, you can't, like you, it, once you've worked with him, it's difficult to move a camera um, in, unless it's, unless it's supposed helping tell the story again yeah like just it's not just the moving uh moved not you don't move the camera for the sake of moving it it's hard be, it's it's almost like it's embarrassing he like makes you feel that way like he he 
puts this feeling of cinema and acting in cinema, this feeling of it in you where, you know, look, don't be pathetic. You know, don't be a dick. Yeah. You know, just do it right. It's all you have to do. Don't showboat. Just fucking do it. You know, it's like that. He makes you feel bad about even having the notion, he, you know, of, of showboating a little bit. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, and he so, knows when you're doing so it. So anytime I would see the scene, the... I and I would think, oh, wouldn't it be cool if like we and I was like, mm, yeah, I don't want to do that. It's kind of stupid. Yeah, it's pretentious. Right. So I, you know, so the 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 camera only moves to help tell the story. That's that's what I remember mostly, and it's kind of built in me. I didn't even know this until recently that it was. I know that my acting is very much my film acting is very much because of the way that he directed me. Yeah, and but and he did he help you construct the character? Did he no. like no. He no, wants you, doesn't talk about story, doesn't talk about character, doesn't talk about anything. He just tells you to stand over there? No, he just says, what are you going to do? Oh, really? Yeah. And <laughs> then you do it, and then you do it again, and he said, you guys have to do it faster than that, or better than that. And yeah. it's like, um, can you think of anything more interesting than that to do? He'll say things like yeah. that. And uh, so Matthew and I would go away and we'd come back with a scene and he'd go, okay, I'm going to put a camera here, put a camera here. Instead of going over there, walk over there because that's where the light's going to come from and we'll shoot. Wow. Yeah. And that, now do you still find, you know, this many years later that that's what, what people know you from? Yeah. A lot of people know me yeah. from that. Yeah. And, and then the other people from the- Especially uh, Marines. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Do they love that movie? Yeah. Oh. Because I think they show it in the Marine Corps. Really? Yeah. As, as what? As an example? As like a bell, warning bell. <laughs> <laughs> I think no that it's it's um it's the one thing that that lifers you know military lifers and law enforcement lifers it's it's a movie that that's very big with them because they see it as something that you know as a cautionary tale but also uh, an example of the discipline necessary to do the job exactly because they they always say to me that it's the most uh life like real version of of paris island that they've ever seen oh yeah yeah and that that guy just passed away right the lee yeah yeah he was something he was a trip so so that starts the whole role for you the like the role of i haven't work. stopped working since i know it's crazy how many like when i look at how many movies you've done do you just like how do you decide what to do i you, just do it you do well i mean it's like if it if it's something that i haven't done before i'll do it you know but like there was some like do you find like like, like mystic pizza that broke who was in that that was was that julia, julia roberts, roberts lily taylor it was a big movie for that generation for your yeah. generation of people and you yeah. were part of that cast and yeah. now we're at that time in in the sense of your career did, did you have a, a a thing you wanted did you want to be a movie star did you want to have the track well i knew that they were making a lot of those brat pack films yeah and they they were cool i guess but yeah. it wasn't that's you know that's not what i wanted to do at the time yeah and i i think about that often actually i think that i might have been um i might have missed out on having some fun yeah you know because you were serious because i was too serious do you look at that in through the in, uh, through the lens of of maybe your your mental issues at this point my it, it could have been i think it was yeah i think it was this kind of yeah this kind of feeling of I, I have to be this other kind of person. I the, can't be that kind of person. The romanticization of the troubled artist. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And so I was. Uh, so so that Mystic Pizza was like a big decision for me because I I thought okay if I'm gonna do this yeah 
I'm going to have to figure out a way to incorporate the way I approach a character and how what I think of acting into this little romantic comedy, which I just heard the, uh, literally, I just heard the the phrase rom-com. Yeah. Yeah. I just heard it? I've never heard of that before. I, one of the students, one of the people in class said it last night and I said, what's a rom-com? And they, they actually told to. <laughs> I had no idea what a rom-com was. Just an abbreviation. Yeah. Just but I'm not big on um, well, I think rom- that, rom-coms. No, I get it. Yeah. But, I th- but I think it's also apparent that, you know, because your your presence and your talent is so specifically yours and you bring a lot to, a lot of emotional and psychological life to, like, even the most, you know, mundane parts. Yeah. That, like, that, I, I imagine at some level that might have been a hindrance. Yeah. That like you know that you were sort of like well you're going to do independent movies because you that's how you're that's that's what you're cut from that you know you're hired to be like you know that guy yeah yourself they they're not gonna you know you're not the lighthearted goofball no <laughs> and it's not gonna happen no uh, and and you know we've um we've tried you know we tried um I've tried yeah and and had really good time like which movie? like Harold Ramis brought me in to do um uh, Stuart Smalley. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. The Franken's movie? Yeah, Franken's yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, I played his brother in that. Oh right. And right. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the two and the two of them taught me some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Harold was like a amazing <laughs> guy. <laughs> Forgot you're in. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was like that was like way way far from anything I'd ever done. Like way way far. And I think Harold just enjoyed the fact that I was like a Martian on his set. <laughs> you know. And they but I listened to everything they told me. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you've played killers, you've played cops, you've played, you know, I, I mean, it, what do you think it is, like, w- when you when you have to do something lighthearted or something simple or, or something that the, you know, the, the story is really about just being funny, I mean, it, it must feel incredibly limiting on some level. Um, yeah, I, it doesn't feel limiting, it feels foreign. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. but not limiting. I mean, I can, I, I understand the idea of, uh, I riff myself. I just don't riff in funny ways. I riff in other ways. I, I like the idea of, of um, experiments and I like the idea of being spontaneous. I like the idea of timing and, and the way to, how to make things land. And yeah. I like all that. All that stuff really interests me a, a lot. Actually. Yeah, well, I mean, the two records that I listened to, I had one on vinyl. I went, went looking for it the other day because I have a lot of vinyl, and I had I had gotten it at some point, but I couldn't find it yesterday. The spoken word records, the yeah. uh, the uh, Slim Bonehead, Slim Bonehead Volt stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that like is that what you mean by riffing? Is sort of moving through words and and movement subconsciously and and, and, and yeah, with I, some music, yeah. kind of the beatnik tradition. Yeah, well, the words the words come first. Yeah. And then the music is composed by Dana Lynn afterwards. Yeah, she seems like sort of a genius. She is a genius, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, the musical geniuses. <laughs> yes, she's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, Dana's, a, you know, she plays, name the instrument. Yeah. And, and she's a composer. You know, she's like the real deal. Is she like a savant music? Kind of like she just can play anything and just has it. P- pretty much. And so she a, writes I wish She writes and composes music. Um in such a, a, a an enormous amount of it, especially because I'm delivering her stuff constantly because I write these things, kind of stream of consciousness. Yeah. So I, you know, I just wrote one about a frog the other day. And, yeah. And, you know, it's like she's already written, composed something. You just send them over? I just, yeah. What do you think? 
Yeah. I don't even say, what do you think? She's probably- She just sends something back to me because she says, I'm pissing myself laughing. It's probably fun for her. Yeah. But it, it does seem like, like you know, like with um, The Player, which is another of my, I love that movie. You got to work with Altman. But also the Abby Hoffman movie, which you did with Janine. I yeah. mean, these characters are, are, you know, sort of like, you know, raging characters. Yeah. Yeah, and you do you find that uh, how is your anger situation? Um, my anger situation in the last ten years is really, really. I, I don't think I'm angry anymore. It goes away, right? It's something about yeah. age too. Yeah, like, I, I don't think I'm angry. It anymore. becomes like this weird phantom limb. Yeah. Like you know, you have, still have the trigger reactions. Where yeah. you're like, God damn it! And you're like, no, I don't need to. I actually <laughs> embarrass myself of how sweet I actually am right now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I actually find it embarrassing sometimes. Really? Yeah. I find it like, oh, fuck, I sound like such a sweetie pie yeah. guy, you know. So to see there's But still... I actually am like, it's my first thought these days is to be sweet rather than to be Isn't that funny? provocative. Well, that, well that's funny because that, that you're, you're, you're disappointing your former self, which still resides inside of you. Yeah. And the struggle is, it's like, just shut up. Just shut up. I'm being nice now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then it happens naturally eventually. Yeah. Or, or or the or the old side of me is still there and speaks up every once in a while like why are you acting like such a dick <laughs> you know what i mean you're such a dick this the, is not you well when you're being nice not, yeah when i'm being nice this is not you <laughs> why would you say that that's not you come on yeah, being civilized yeah yeah being nice since when yeah. you have to do it on purpose yeah exactly you were exactly. out to kill us yeah <laughs> No, I think I was at my worst when I was doing uh, Law and Order. Really? In terms of the, yeah. that was the end of the anger? Those were the death throes? Uh, the anger of... ended by that. I, I think that there was, a, there was, I, I, there was people on that show, not actors, but yeah. people who ran that show yeah. that, that taught me my, the extent, the, 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 the end of my anger. Like I took it all the way. Re at them? At, at them, yeah. Oh, so you were a problem. Well, according to them. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, well, how did that manifest itself? What were the issues? Well, I was, I was, we were, they, 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 we were exhausted. Oh. We were exhausted. And I was, I, and I had this. Um, okay, you churned those out. I mean, you did like 150 of the fucking things. Yeah. And, and, and we, we worked, you know, 18 hours a day. Yeah. Every day Ugh. with, with Saturday off. You know, with su sorry, with Sunday off because so you, you no work life. Friday, you work until the morning, and you shoot for three months, four months, ten months. It's twenty-two episodes a year, and it's formulaic to a degree, to completely a degree, <laughs> like the degree of formulaic, <laughs> like the number so one. So you're degree. like you're like in hell. You're you're like in hell. Yeah, the first it's no, not the whole time. The whole yeah. time, the first few years is you get to develop this character that nobody's ever seen before. Yeah, and that's fun. Yeah. And then all this other shit happens yeah. and they start writing to the stuff that you've invented and suddenly it's not that interesting anymore because they're writing to it and their writing isn't as good as, doesn't feel as good as inventing it. Right, right, right. So there, so, but then, then the fifth year kicks in and then the sixth year and yeah. they, you know. And you can't get oof, out. My God. And you're, so you're happy to be out? And it's your own fault. Yeah. For you, being there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, a job's a job, and a job you know, is health a job, the coverage. Yeah. You got kids. You yeah. know what you gonna do? Yeah, you know, exactly. Those are, you know, you're grown up now. So that because working with Kubrick and working with Altman are, are big deals, I would imagine. And Ramis. I mean, I'm not gonna you know belittle anybody, but obviously, as a film head, 
that you know yeah. for me like the player a lot of people think is different than his other movies i love that movie yeah me too and uh how did he work you know what did you learn from him he was uh, totally open. He loved actors. Yeah. He loved actors coming up with ideas. He was a very honest director. Like, if you came up with something, like the whole thing about my character dying in the water, yeah. like drowning in like this much water, <sighs> yeah. like that was something that I came up with. And on the night, we were all worried whether it was going to work a lot, including, including myself. Yeah. And then once we see, saw that it, it, it worked, yeah. he's like, that will never be your idea again. <laughs> <laughs> It just became his. It just became his idea. <laughs> and I loved that. I was like, you got it, dude. Whatever you say. You know, Altman was totally open. You know, he'd yeah. walk around with half a joint in his pocket. He he would just, most of the scenes were shot on a on a, a baby jib, which yeah. is like a small little weighted crane with the yeah. camera on one side and weights on the other. And they would put it on the track. You'd have like five guys, because uh, back then it was cable, it was yeah. everywhere. Yeah. You'd have five guys reeling up cable and the actors could go anywhere they want. They could walk over the track, do anything. And all you see is these guys with cable running <laughs> back and forth, keeping the cable <laughs> yeah. out of the shot. And uh, you just did it. So there was a naturalism to it. Yeah, which totally. Because still... that seemed like a, a pretty tightly scripted movie for some of his more lyrical things right. compared to it. So, but he still employed all that stuff. Totally. Yeah. And it, but he and he did give uh, Fred Ward that, that weird that amazing tracking shot at the beginning. Yeah. It took ten minutes. Yeah. So I I watched the whole movie. This is now the kid. Is this the first feature you directed? The first um, real feature. I've done a couple of experience. I shot a film in my backyard in upstate New York, um, a musical horror. Yeah. Yeah. And we shot it in like five days, and Is this ever- everybody sings and everybody dies. Yeah, yeah. Does it have a cult following? I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> so- it's, pretty, it's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> the music is awesome, <laughs> but uh, why, why? I guess my question is, you know, outside of the fact that you were just in the Magnificent Seven, you know, what is it about the Western that that made you want to make a Western? Just because they're cool movies. Yeah. You know, I, I've always liked the good ones, and always thought that I wanted to make one. And I wrote one a long time ago. That got kind of caught up in in lawyer stuff and and is now just not be, not able to be made and so and so I and and then I started to start to think about coming of age stories and and then I one night I just said you know I got a I, I just thought of a great idea to put a kid a fictional character yeah. in between the the factual character you know the the um in the, the story of Pat Garrett and Pat Billy Garrett the kid. Billy the kid so that story tracks historically yes. That that and and it, so you took that story, you know the sort of mythologizing Billy Kid, the reality of Billy Kid, this weird relationship between Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, Pat Garrett played by Ethan Hawke, and you thought like, well, I'm going to stick a kid in there somehow, yeah, to uh, have a rites of passage movie, exactly, and learn from two different men, yeah, yeah. huh? And you you came up with the story, yes, and you, uh, you and I and I found a writer that I thought that was that was the right guy to write it this guy Andrew Lanham who and him and I get along fantastically and so he came I was shooting the judge at the time with Downies and uh, he came to Boston and stayed in the hotel that I was in and um, he would write and then he would deliver pages and then we'd go in the room we'd write out structure and write out the whole thing and oh was, wow uh, yeah but so, I mean Andrew wrote the screenplay but the story is, yeah. is mine yeah you so know, it was that I couldn't the, have done as good a job as Andrew did though. but was that Great. the first time you were involved in that process mm. Yeah, in writing it outside. No, of your- I had done it with friends for the the uh, the thing I did in my backyard upstate. But but it, but 
like we had we i knew what it was like to bounce stuff off of people and right yeah and what were the challenges like so like this is like you got a little money here this isn't a backyard event you know you got a crew you yeah got you have your, 20 days to shoot a full out western with stage coaches and gun 20 fights days and major dramatic scenes and well you got some power actors in there yeah you would think that you know it would be no, I thought they were fall I, out of bed and just do it. But no, no, I didn't know it. <laughs> no, took I know. It. Like, but like, there were, you got hard. some beautiful performances out of people. Yeah, man, because they're great. They're yeah. great actors. And yeah. you're you and Ethan are friends for years. Mm-hmm. You've done other work together. Yes, and and that kid, they, he seems to be a, some sort of like wizard uh, or natural. Yeah, he's that, a natural. Yeah, Dane DeHaan. He's the first. Uh, yeah, yeah, Dane is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do do you like when you're working with a guy like that? Do you relate? I mean, can totally. You, he knows. You yeah. know, we both know what we're doing. We're peers, and there's no secrets. Uh-huh. You know, it's like we, we, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I just respect the hell out of him. You know what I mean? It's like he, he. I can see moment to moment his performance. I can see where when it's coming, when it's not. I yeah. can see the whole thing, and I just respect the hell out of it. And I can walk up to him in the middle of a take or say something to him in yeah. the middle of a take or after a take, say, just whisper a couple of things in his ear, and then he'll bring this whole other thing. You know, yeah. um, These guys are uh, amazing what they do. Well, I, mean, I, I didn't even know it was Chris Pratt. Yeah, I for mean, like half the movie. Chris was doing another show at the time, and and he came in for five days. You know. Yeah, but like it was like he went to like that that sort of eternal dark place of uh, completely morally corrupt p- characters. Yeah, like there's some people that can tap into that. Yeah, and he did it, and I was sort of like, "Whoa, good yeah, job, good job." Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Ethan's like very controlled, but you know, solid. But Ethan and- had to play backpack. Pat Garrett, I there, you know, he had to do it. I kind of used our friendship because there was nobody in my mind. I've always want. He knew that I've always wanted him to play Pat Garrett. Yeah, because I actually think he is like um, the spirit of Chris Christopherson. Like oh. I, you know, I really think that it, it, it's like Ethan has that kind of quality in real life. Yeah, I've uh, t- I've talked to him. Yeah. He told me, like as an actor, he told me one of the greatest things because I watch him differently now. Because he said when he was, um, and he's also like a very intellectually curious guy. Yeah. He, he likes to engage and do stuff. Yeah, uh, art totally. Yeah. yeah. But he said that when he was uh, when he got the role in Training Day, like he knew that his obstacle was going to be not to be eaten alive by Denzel. Yeah. So he watched Denzel movies like football players watch, you know, training films yeah. of the other team. <laughs> yeah. So he could figure out a way. To not, you know, to hold his own with that guy. Yeah. So now when I watch him in scenes, like I'm wondering, you know, you know, not that he's going to overact, but, you know, like how he's going to step up. Like even in the shootout in your movie, yeah. I knew there was a moment there where like, like it looked like, well, Chris, Chris Pratt's going to eat his lunch. Yeah. And then he just fills up somehow. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? And if you give him um, one piece, just one piece of good dialogue. Yeah. He will, he, it will spawn pages and pages of dialogue. Yeah. Like you just, he appreciates words so much even that you just have to give him, if you can put together somehow two sentences of really good words, he's inspired for weeks. That's great. Well, I mean, I think you did a beautiful job. Thanks. And yeah, I got to run you out of here because you got to do a phoner. Oh, okay. And, uh, but you feel good? I feel good. It's great talking to you. It was great to finally talk to you. All right, man. Yeah. There you go. That was nice. He's intense though, right? 
The Kid, his new movie, Vincent's new movie, starring Ethan Hawke, Dane DeHaan, and Chris Pratt, is playing in select theaters. Also, look for all those tour dates. A lot of tour dates added. I gotta be coming close to you. WTFpod.com slash tour. Boomer lives!